0: Welcome to Authentic Conversations with Ryan James Miller. Join Ryan as he speaks with top business leaders and influencers and hear how they've mastered the art of authenticity to achieve all that they dreamed of. As you hear from these leaders, seek not only to be inspired by their authenticity, but to strive
1: for and master your own. Welcome everybody to another episode of Authentic Conversations. Um, so I preempted this uh, in a recent podcast episode that I have this unique opportunity today uh, to record uh, with a gentleman by the name of Harris Third. And he is a storyteller. He is an entrepreneur. Uh, And as we just discussed offline, he is about 500 other things. I think probably also importantly to say, he is a husband, he is a father. Uh, Following him on social media, you will see that he holds those things very, very dearly, uh, which I respect and admire so much. Um, We have some history uh, that uh, uh, he impacted me uh, many, many years ago. I I wanna share a little bit about
0: as we get going. But for now, Harris, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited. your enthusiasm is contagious so i'm fired (laughs) up let's do it
1: well we'll see we'll see if we can maintain it so um (laughs) we're going to get into talking about uh, you know i didn't introduce the fact that you are an author um and what really spawned uh, me reaching out to you uh was finishing this amazing book that i want to dig into called the wonder switch uh i happened to listen to it uh, the first time, went back and reread it at a time that I needed it so, so much. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that is kind of the end cap for me on something that I wanted to talk about first, which was uh, I shared with you offline and I'd shared with my audience a couple of weeks ago that I had this unique experience with you, again, really kind of unbeknownst to you. So back in 2017, I was uh, working for an organization Uh, did a three-year stint there and we were at an insurance conference kind of boring talking data and just all kinds of garbage and uh in the middle i think it was midday one of the days um they announced that we were going to have a magician come out and i am have always been really just um enthralled with magic i think it is amazing especially when a magician is really really good at their craft and so i was excited I'll never forget watching you float a table right in front of me and I I was just blown away right you Oh, I know people say all the time like how do you do this stuff and it's crazy. But that wasn't it for me, and this is where it really starts for me and kind of what I want to start digging into so. I was really struggling at that point in my life. I I actually had no idea that my struggle was about to get far worse, but we were on the back end of a coworker committing suicide about five months earlier uh, in that organization that I worked for was going through some other challenges just in the organization. And then in life in general, and you were telling this story as you were doing magic uh, about using our imagination and Uh, I'm going to butcher the way that you communicated it, but you basically said something to the effect of, you know, when we grow up, we are encouraged to use our imagination. You know, we see children that just use their imagination and allow it to run wild. And somehow when we grow up, it's almost as if we're told to stop using it as it's some kind of like immaturity or something like that. And I cannot tell you, Harris, how much that has impacted me. Again, I cannot recite word for word what you said, I actually have it written down somewhere. But that just started for me something that was just so amazing to me. And so would you mind maybe sharing a little bit about obviously not that event? (laughs) This idea of, you know, just kind of like squashing our imagination, which I, I know you incorporate so much even into the wonder switch. But sure. How do you see that kind of happening and playing out in the lives of people?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's less that we stop using our imaginations. Um, you know, I used to think that was the case, that our imaginations were super active when we were children. And then as we grew up, it's they sort of begin to fade because of the what the world does to us and the story that it so subtly tells to us. Um, and then what I've realized is that we don't we don't stop using our imaginations, we start misusing them. Mm. Um, And the they get sort of captivated by fear and worry. And so I now view worry as a misuse of imagination. And part of the reason that happens is we start using them in different ways because the world does tell us, hey, it's time to grow up, it's time to man up, it's time to get serious. Um, And cynicism kicks in, we start caring about what everyone else thinks about us. Um, And we don't understand that there is a difference between what is childish and childlike. And it's, it's very possible to grow up, put away childish things, To grow in truth and maturity and wisdom without ever losing your childlikeness. You can maintain your childlike imagination, your sense of childlike wonder. And that's really where creativity, innovation, and I would argue all growth lives. So it's really about properly using our imaginations um, the way that they are intended to be used. So, uh, it's really interesting that you say kind of a misuse of
1: imagination. So, do you feel like that is something that is ingrained into us, that's taught to us? Like, what begins this path of us misusing this gift, really? That I think, and I'm sure you'd probably agree, like, God gives us this amazing gift, and all of a sudden, we start using it for the wrong reasons.
0: Yeah. Well, the imagination is just a futuristic storytelling tool, right? So, you know, we should go back and and begin with this foundation that all human beings are storytelling creatures. We think in story narrative is the operating system of our brains. And so all day long we are walking around telling ourselves stories to try to make sense of the world and our experiences in it, find relevancy in things to stay safe to figure out how relationships work. We do this so often that not only do we walk around all day long telling ourselves stories, even when we go to bed and physically sleep at night, our brain stays up all night long telling ourselves more stories. Mm. And so as storytelling creatures, our imagination is constantly fast forwarding into the future of every situation that we're in and asking a question, what happens next? So all day long, you're going, okay, what happens next in this story? What happens next in this story? A simple example would be if you're riding down the road in the car, in the back seat, uh, and maybe you have an Uber driver or a Lyft driver, and they're driving recklessly, all of a sudden, the reason your heart starts beating faster, your palms might get sweaty, is because your nervous system is freaking out. Well, that signal to your nervous system came from your brain fast-forwarding and imagining what might potentially happen next in that story. And you're, you don't, you're not consciously aware of all this, but your imagination saw it. It brought up an image, quote unquote, imagination an image of maybe rear ending the car in front of you or ending up in a ditch or you getting harmed. And so your imagination in that case was just trying to keep you safe. Cause again, it's answering the question that all great stories ask what happens next. And so what happens is somewhere through our lives and our stories, we have what I call an inciting incident that, sort of turns the wonder switch off and that wonder switch toggles how we use our imagination. So when the wonder switch is turned on our imagination thinks, well, what happens next? Something awesome, something positive. It's driven by hope and optimism and creativity and innovation. But when the wonder switch gets turned off by that inciting incident, that I think is the beginning of where we misuse our imagination. So the short way of answering your question is trauma, you know that inciting incident is typically a traumatic experience that changes the stories that we tell ourselves by way of breaking the narrative it gives birth to shame maybe addiction all these untrue stories that break our narrative the lies that we start repeating back to ourselves and that really it keeps us from using our imaginations the way that we did before that inciting incident mm.
1: okay and, and and i mean i guess you know, you open up this idea or, you know, digging into kind of the book and going back into your past. So you, I think there's a a chapter of the book titled Rediscovering Your Past or, you know, you're going back into your past and walking back through. And so for you, which interestingly enough, as I read that chapter, it, it pulled me back into my own. I, I always feel like I I I have thoroughly gone through everything all the way from being six and my parents being divorced and how that negatively affected me all the way through to near broken marriage and uh, up till today. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've examined all of this (laughs) and, um, and yet every time that I'm provoked to do so going back into my past it's, I seem to learn more about why I am the way I am right now for good and for bad. And so for you in the book, it sounds like there was this extremely traumatic ongoing experience that you had that really started to write an unintended story that you had to go back and repair. So, What was that process like for you? Was it just, I've got to go back and do this? Or was there a moment in your kind of future or kind of more present now that caused you to go, I got to go back and I have to revisit this and I have to figure out how I write this wrong?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, beliefs drive behavior, right? So if narrative is the operating system of our brains, that means the, the narrative that we're in and have adopted as true regardless of whether it's actually true or not, which is an important caveat, that's what determines that narrative drives all human behavior, all of our thinking, our worldviews, our choices. And so if we wanna shift something in our behavior, our habits, the choices we're making, we have to go back and restore the parts of our narrative that is broken. And so that's really why the work of living a life of wonder, of leaning into possibility, of living a life filled with creativity, has less to do with becoming and more to do with unbecoming. It's less work of addition and more work of subtraction. Uh, We have to look back before we can move forward because we have to stop and pause, okay, if this narrative is broken, if it's permitting me um, to not believe what needs to be believed to shift my habits or thinking or choices or behavior, then where did that story come from? How did that narrative get broken? And I have to go back and figure out what that is. In the book, I, I lay out this process. I just call it story writing, um, and it's spelled R I G H T. Like literally, how do you write your story? How do you correct the story? Um, and that's difficult work. You know, it's nobody enjoys that process of going back into trauma. And a lot of people think they don't have trauma. Um, I have a close friend, Mark Pimsler, who is an experiential therapist, and you know, he's helped me understand so much about the misconceptions in the world of psychology that even within his own peer groups. There are people that use language like, oh, that's like big big T trauma or little t trauma. there's no such thing. Like trauma is trauma. And because trauma is stored in the lower third limbic system, part of our brains, it is always participating in active storytelling, which is why people are affected by that traumatic experience without realizing it. Some people call that being triggered, right? You get triggered by an experience. Well, that's because, you know, it's not a memory. It's actively part of the storytelling part of your brain. So, you know, if you were in a traumatic car crash and you're riding down the road in the car, you're always gonna have a nervous system that's freaking out because you're like, oh no, that thing's happening again. I oh, know that thing's happening again. Well, it's not, it happened in the past. And so really healing from trauma involves moving that trauma out of the lower third limbic system in part of your brain, what Mark calls up and to the left. So it's more similar to a memory. So your brain can acknowledge that experience and go, okay, That was a real part of my past. The pain was real, but while it was painful suffering is simply the story that I give to that pain. And I have control over writing that story. And if I can make sense of that story through a healing process, a corrective experience, I can acknowledge that it happened, but it's no longer happening now. And that sort of releases me to move on and get back to operating from a narrative that's filled with hope and possibility. Um, so, you know, the, the the tangible steps of like, how do we heal from trauma? I mean, that's different for every person and could require varying degrees of help and support. Anything from the support of someone like you, who someone who needs some coaching to some deeply held uh, beliefs that, you know, you need to have some sort of corrective experience in support of or with a mental health professional. Yeah. Um, so. You know, it varies, but at the end of the day, it's it what what all that work has in common is the restoring of a narrative, so you can get back to living from a place of wonder and possibility, and those beliefs shaped by the lies don't hold you back and limit your life and dream.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I really appreciate how you said what you said, not just what you said, and I seem to find that when. I'm involved with anybody, whether uh, I was a pastor up until just a couple of months ago and had been for eight years. And so in pastoral counseling or just in general with a friend or maybe coaching, I find that far too often when people experience some kind of traumatic event or season of life that they get past it and just put it behind them as though I have put it past me, now I can move on. And I understand the the kind of the thinking and methodology that goes into that. I just feel like when that happens, which is what I did actually with many different things throughout my life, I feel like we don't ever get to really address that. And so then, like you said, when it comes to what triggers us now or how we, uh, how we talk about what happened in light of what's happening now, I just feel like we don't get to form that, in your words, new story for how we're going to continue moving on past it because we've just put it past us and kind of buried it instead of dealt with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And then, you know, as is often the case, it feels like maybe you're able to do that for a short period of time, but uh, shortly thereafter, or sometimes decades later, you finally step into an awareness of Oh well, gosh, why do I keep doing that? Or why do I, why can I not believe that? And you find this part of your belief system that's broken and it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it came from. But once you start the process of peeling back the layers, you go, oh, or with the help of someone enables you to go, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, that experience I had side stage with my dad, when I was 11, when he said that wasn't good enough, if I were the person that booked you for this magic show, I probably would never book you again, you know, in his mind, he was going. I got to push my son to be better. You know, he was lazy on this particular presentation. He needs to try harder. He checked out. He didn't do enough. But what I heard was, I'm not good enough. And it planted this little seed. It was the inciting incident in the story that decades later when I was like, why do I constantly in every single situation try to measure up and try to like mess around with the perceptions of other people so they can see me as enough? Hmm. When you start peeling back those layers, you're like, oh my gosh. That was two decades ago, and my dad said that to me. Side yeah. stage, you know, you don't realize the effect that these things have on you until you start digging into those stories. And that's why, you know, I think all this work around centered around narrative is so important because it's how we're wired, because we are storytelling creatures. Um, it's just really important to go back into those stories and truly understand how deeply they affected us and are and are playing a role in the stories that we're living out today.
1: Yeah. I love that you keep using, you know, that word story. I, I just feel like, um, you know, professionally, um, most people can understand this, uh, this concept of storytelling and kind of how businesses tell their story, uh, you know, their talk about their product, talk about their service, where they came from, what their mission is. But few people do this work personally, right? They don't take the time to understand what their story is, and then how to then communicate that so they can go out and live in the world and live in relationship and live in career and allow people to see them for who they really are and really experience the life that God has created them to live. And so what are some of the kind of simple places that people can start to, to begin to understand identify and begin to tell their own story
0: sure yeah i mean in the book i'm not trying to create a sales pitch here but in the no, book no please do uh. but by, by the way let, let
1: me <laughs> let me stop you right there you know i i like i if i would have never read your book i, I already said 3 years prior you personally had a profound impact on my life Via a magic show. And I don't mean to demean (laughs) the craft because again, I think that it was amazing. And I still remember things to this day. So that's why I'm honored to sit here and have a conversation with you is because what you did for me, unbeknownst to you three over three years ago, almost four years ago now. Then it just so happened that by following you on social media for the last three and a half, four years, I saw you were releasing this book and I read it on my own because I really felt like if this man could have this kind of impact on me through a 30 minute show, you know, doing magic all while telling story, there's got to be something to this. And so you can, promote it all you want but really the endorsement comes by way of me saying that like you have now twice affected my life positively and (laughs) i want other people to be able to hear that too i mean i bought this book and i've sent it out to 12 15 of my clients already as their christmas gift because i felt like it was that important so um so anyway so you know you can keep going again you know helping people to kind of (laughs) you know start from somewhere but i just i want you to know that this is not about like you can talk about it all you want because uh, again i believe it's just that valuable
0: sure i appreciate you saying that thank you so much um and it's really not it's not just me trying to promote it it's just throughout the process of writing that book the wonder switch i I really struggle with that question that you've asked because I've been asked for a few years now, you know, as I've traveled around giving talks on this subject of wonder and really just trying to understand the process of transformation in general. Like how does, how does change take place in the life of someone, whether it's small change or changing every facet of their life. And, and I really tried to tackle that in the book and what, what came out of that process was what I call the transformation map. And I think what I was trying to do with that map is, was give someone some, some sort of way to like ID themselves, to figure out like okay if i can if i can identify a spot with where i feel like i am if i can relate to that like oh complacency if i feel stuck in complacency well then i can begin to sort of take and trace some steps backward until i get to the inciting incident and hopefully that will help people identify the journey that led them to the place where they are currently able to identify with yeah. and not only is that that look back invaluable But then you can come back to where you are and it shows you the tangible steps to get out of that spot, to create a new positive inciting incident and step into some change and how central wonder is to that process. Um, So I would start by saying, you know, grab a copy of the book. If you don't want to go get the book, you can go to my website, harrisatthird.com. There's a free training on there with me walking you through the, the steps of the transformation map. And I would start there because it's, it's, I can't. I can't communicate enough how important it is to acknowledge where you are and to trace the steps back to figure out what has shaped you into the person that you are today. And that much of that work is less about becoming something new and unbecoming all of the the things that aren't really supposed to be you to begin with. Um, You know, I, I turned back to that Coelho quote recently where he said maybe the, I don't remember the exact words, but maybe the point is not to really become um, anything. It's more about unbecoming everything that isn't really you to begin with. And to me, that's really the work of life. It's its not just about learning. It's about unlearning. And so if you, if you have a map like the transformation map, I think it makes that process a little bit easier because it shows you the steps that you've gone through to learn, um, even if you weren't conscious of them. And so we've got to unpack that stuff. And so whether you do that with the map, the book, or a coach like you, to me, it's essential. Wonder is essential to that process because wonder is what opens you up to the possibility of a new story. I mean, look, the, the world is filled with new stories. There's there's a gazillion people online uh, offering people a new story, right? Um, and brands spending multi-millions and billions of dollars on advertising campaigns, campaigns offering a new story. Not all of them are true, right? But there's plenty of new stories that are being served up. The reason why we as human beings aren't always open to believing those new stories because the ones that are true have the potential to replace the lies that we've been deceived into believing. The reason we aren't open to those truths is because on a subconscious level, our brain is going, no, thanks. I've already figured out my narrative. Like I've already figured out the way the world works and kind of know how things. And so cynicism kicks in and is like, no, thanks. I already have a story. And so the reason wonder is essential to the process of change and it's central to the transformation map is because, you know, what neuroscientists are discovering about awe and wonder is that it creates this openness, this us up our heart, it opens up our minds to the possibility of what could be um, and helps us understand that seeing is not always equal to believing, right, it doesn't take more than a few magic tricks to prove that <laughs> your senses can always be fooled. And it doesn't take more than a good movie. Uh, to help you understand how easy it is for your emotions and your feelings to be manipulated, quote unquote, manipulated or stirred, right? So if seeing isn't always believing, then how are we supposed to figure out what the truth is? And so what we've discovered is that believing actually precedes seeing. And when I say we, I just mean uh, the world at large, scientists have partnered with magicians to study the human brain and how it perceives reality based on what our senses take in. And what we discover every single time in every single study is that seeing is not always equal to believing, but that believing is actually seeing because what we believe has the power to change what we see. So if believing is seeing and belief drives all behavior, wonder awakens our ability to believe in something before we have seen it. Which to go back to the beginning of this conversation, I mean, that's what you led with, right? When we were kids, we believed before we saw. We believed in santa claus even though we couldn't see them you know the belief in a divine being wasn't complicated or difficult at all we didn't need all this tangible scientific visual proof we didn't have to lay our eyes on something in order to believe and so when the wonder switch gets turned off we move from living as a believing is seeing to a place of cynicism that says i'll believe in that when i can see it um and that's that's when our the dark side of our imagination kicks in and we start mus- misusing it and just wreaks havoc on our stories. Oof.
1: and I think one of the other dangers that I see a lot of people play into and again I'm sure I've been victim to this many times is there are a lot of other good stories being told out in the world like they are good they are doing good they are positive they are encouraging but they're not ours. And so what I find a lot in my space and just in the world of, you know, live your best life and whatever is people look to somebody else. They see the way in which they have lived their life or gotten to the place that they've gotten to. They're successful. Again, even some of them being very good, very um, compassionate and empathetic and giving and they, and so then they model their life after that person. But before long, they just they they can't they can't sustain that because that's not who they were created to be, and so it's really challenging to pull people away from that because it's like if it's not broken, don't fix it. And what I try to tell people sometimes is, you know, just because it's good doesn't mean it's not broken, uh, and broken may not even be the best word. But you know, again, it's really going back to what you said, which is you know going back and really understanding what your story is, going back to the beginning and using you know, something like your book or the tool, like the map to really begin to formulate that for yourself. I think that's so important because if not, then how are we going to know how to live as the best husband or spouse that we can, or the best parent that we can, or the best business leader or community influencer, or whatever. We don't know how to do that in our best version until we figure out where the foundation is.
0: Sure. I think so much of that is born out of, um, much our culture is driven by comparison Mm. we now live in a pretty media saturated culture most media is considered social at this point even though it's not super social (laughs) right and like i don't hate all the platforms like some people do they are they're just simply storytelling tools and they are what you make of them right and Mm so um it's they're they're blank canvases and you can paint on them whatever you want to um and so the the problem with it all is that we It's interesting because I'm an entertainer, right? And so I was trained to learn how to put on a show. So it made it very easy for me to do that. But now like with each passing year, it's almost like every human being is now an entertainer because we're all putting on a show. We're all trying to manage the perceptions of other people because we want to be able to be seen a certain way by them. Um, and I think that's contributing to that feeling that you were just talking about where we're just constantly comparing ourselves and we're like, I want that person's story. I want her story. And that comes out of this belief that it's that maybe their story is better than the one that we have or that they have it all figured out. Um, and it's just not the case. And I, and I not to sound like a broken record, I still think that goes back to if we don't deal with the pain of our past, we run from it um, and we go towards the purposes of other people instead of taking our own pain and turning it into our own purpose. Um, yeah. And the value of going back to heal from your pain is not just the healing process, but the fact that your greatest message is often found in that mess. Um, so it's another great reason to go back. Look, I, if I, as an entertainer, or take any facet of my life, like a magician, since we were talking about that, I, as a magician, can look at other Successful magicians or illusionists and say, I want to be like them because I admire this, this, or this. I don't want to live in this pain that of the story that I've lived. But what I don't realize is like my unique offering to the world, all the magic that I have to offer to the world is not found when I lean in and try to become more like them. It's when I lean into my own uniqueness and that uniqueness is rooted in my story. Right. And so like I made a million dollars by the time I was 21 performing magic shows around the world. By 22, I was bankrupt. That showcases a lot of foolish decisions that I made during that season of my life. I would love to run from that and hide that part of my story (laughs) because it doesn't make me look like a super smart, wise person, right? Or I can go back and recognize that is a unique part of my story. I can take the pain of that experience and figure out how to turn it into purpose that mess that I made can become one of my greatest life's messages. And now I can serve other people who may maybe didn't make a million dollars by the time they were 21, but have gone through the experience of making choices that they weren't proud of as a result of trying to keep up with the Joneses or people who are ruining their identity in the eyes of what other people thought about them. There's so much there that I have to offer the world, but I can't get to that purpose without going back and figuring out that painful part of my story. So we just we need to stop comparing. Like we there's magic in your story. There's magic in my story. And none of us have a corner uh, on on the market on being the most interesting person in the world. In the book, I talk about how a key component of a wonder mindset is the belief that we're all average which doesn't sound like something you would expect someone like me to say who's constantly talking about magic and possibility. But the reason I can say that is because we're all starting from the same space, right? Like you have just as much magic as I have. I don't have more than you. And so if truly magical, miraculous lives, if that's par for the course, that means that makes us all average when it comes to that. Um, And when you have the belief that we're average, I think it gives you permission to, to lean into some really interesting conversations and exploration of who we are.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate, you know, somebody like yourself, you know, just even just being open and honest about the struggle, about the failure, about the hurt, about the devastating moments and seasons of life, because, you know, it, it's really easy to, to celebrate the now here's where I'm at, but it's really hard to go back and unveil especially the the things that we had some part in contributing to you know that 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 challenge or that struggle and that hurt and that's something that i so want for people that follow me is again My past is littered with just such mess. And so much of it was my own. And I don't talk about the fact that I, you know, got almost was divorced five years into my marriage because it sounds cool or because now I get to say I'm celebrating 20 years. It's because that's the reality. And it's too easy to look at my marriage now and say, wow, they have such a great marriage and a great family and things look so nice. And I'm like, but that's not how it always is. And I think we need to find more opportunities to permit people to open up those i call them torn pages of their book uh, for other people to see the more we give that permission the more that people become comfortable in sharing that story and then can do again the work that you're talking about which is once i can talk about it and open up to it then i can start doing the work of writing that wrong
0: yeah correct yeah and i i think you know it, it's kind of a good like litmus test i think our our healing associated with our ability to share with authenticity and transparency um you know i wish i could remember there's a Brene brown quote from dare to lead where it's like the greatest victim of trauma i think is vulnerability Mm. um where you know and then our ability to then become vulnerable in the future and lead with vulnerability as leaders correlates with how much we have healed from that trauma and so yeah i mean if you, if you almost got a divorce five years in your marriage, but never healed from that moment, of course you're never gonna make that a part of your story. You're never gonna be able to leverage that experience and wisdom that came out of living and going through that yeah. with others so that they can learn from it, uh, unless you've healed from it and figured out what's going on and impact it as a part of your story. Kind of gonna own it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting ready to land the plane. I have a couple
1: of just fun questions, maybe at some point here, but I, I, I am interested to find out. So you have this fascinating career, very magical using that word, but I mean, not, not just in the fact that you have done magic successfully, uh, but in your uh, ability to go speak um, I don't know if you're still doing them, but I know that you were for many years, uh, you create the story gathering and, you know, bringing artists together from all different genres and disciplines and how helping them to tear their, tell their stories in different creative ways. And so you're doing all of these big, huge, awesome, cool, wondrous things, but you still have to be a husband and a father at home. And so, how does this big thinking, big dreaming, big life um, uh, play itself out practically in how you parent your kids? Because I I think they're they're still fairly little, correct?
0: Yeah, I've got a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. It's um, I mean, you just gotta hold space for it, right? You have to have margin. Margin's been the one of the biggest enemies that has constantly tried to like army crawl and sneak its way, uh, into my life is, you know, how do I, how do I rob Harris of all the margins? So he doesn't have, uh, time and, and space for magic. And you just got to wage war against it, uh, to make sure that you, you, you have that in your life. And so that's, that's mostly what it looks like for me. I mean, I can't, I can't share magic with other people if I cut off my own source of magic and if if magic comes from my faith my family my time with my kids um you know how i i can't decrease it's like turning off the faucet (laughs) that the water is coming out of but then trying to like be like oh no the world is on fire i'm gonna go help these people put out their fire it's like oh i don't have any water to help you with because i already turned on my faucets off and so i got to keep those those streams running Mm. um And the way you do that is to spend, spend the time holding space for it, creating space for it, being very intentional about blocking off the time on your calendar. And it sounds like such a simple, practical thing, but I mean, I really believe that's where it's at. Um, You've got to invest in it. Otherwise it doesn't happen by accident. A lot of people want to leave uh, their story up to fate. but fate is a really terrible writer as Don Miller says. So it's like, you know, good stories don't happen by accident yeah Uh, dramatic stories can happen by accident (laughs) so you can certainly have drama that happens in your story against your will but to make a great story it has a lot to do with how you respond to those inciting incidents that creep their way into your lives and so we've got to be intentional about writing our stories and therefore i write margin into mine so that i have time to uh stay tuned into the to the source of magic in my own life that's good okay
1: uh we are still, I can't believe I I continue to say this, but we are still in the midst of uh, a very challenging time in our life, in history, in this country. We are by and large, locked down. You're in Tennessee. I know you guys are fairly locked down still. Uh, I feel like I'm imprisoned in California. So I don't <laughs> want to go to that degree, but you know we are <laughs> extremely locked down. So, yeah. how have you seen that affect your ability to tell story? I know that it can be done by any medium possible. Again, like I read the book, it impacted me. We can talk over video, but do you feel like you've lost? this sense of true connection by not being able to be in person, whether it's in your hometown or traveling around the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if I'm honest, I do feel that way. There's a, there's an intimacy with transformation that I like to experience. And by that, I mean, I like to be up close. I like to have a front row seat to change to those aha moments and epiphanies. And so uh, you can certainly tell stories through other mediums and you can watch people's facial expressions, but There's something transcendent about having a shared experience in the same room with other people. And I don't think that we will ever create anything that replaces that. Um, so I look forward to the days that that comes back. Um, in the meantime, it doesn't mean that we stop and wait for it. Right. We keep creating, we keep doing, and we keep sparking change. So change can still happen. Um, I just don't get to experience it, uh, firsthand. Like I often like to, um, I, I think we're in a big, huge liminal space right now. I've been talking a lot about liminal space the last couple of years. And um, it's a concept that a lot of people aren't familiar with. It's that that space between the no longer and the not yet. And a lot of people can relate to a liminal space during a time that they feel called out of something old because they're trying to step into something new and they know what it feels like to step out of the old thing and for it to sort of linger um, and try to step into a new thing but the new thing hasn't been fully realized yet. Something we're less familiar with is when we get kicked out of a story that we were perfectly content being in, uh, like a pandemic does to us against our will. And those liminal spaces, the spaces between the old story and the new story, can be really uncomfortable. And so, yeah, I think that's where I am. I'm I'm trapped in the in between, between the no longer and the not yet. But that's where so much of our growth, our formation, um, I used to think our becoming happens, and now I think it's as your seasons of unbecoming, like I mentioned earlier as much as they are becoming. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be... say,
1: that, is that say that word again,
0: which word liminal space. Yeah. Yeah. Liminal liminal space. It's just the space between the space between S- no longer and not yet. It's the messy middle of the creative process. I have a friend that calls it hell in the hallway. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a door gets closed, but the another one hasn't opened yet and he's sort of still stuck in the hallway going what's next. Um, the space that defines where so many of us are right now Uh, and and the reason oh go ahead i would say the the reason liminal space is so uncomfortable Cultural anthropologists would say that uh it's the space where there is no story so -hmm. if you think about the fact that we're storytelling creatures if our behavior and thinking is rooted in narrative well when you're trapped between the old story and the new story and there's no story to anchor us man, that creates all sorts of uncomfortable problems. Like we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're supposed to do next. Um, it's just this mysterious, dark void of existence. Um, and so liminal spaces are magical, uh, not because they're filled with joy and celebration and comfort, but it's it's where that unbecoming happens most easily. It's the mm. painful uh, steps of growth that sometimes aren't possible in any other space because our grip has been loosened from the script that we were holding on to so tightly. So I think that's the space that we're in. It's certainly where I feel like I've been over the last nine months or so. And so, um, dude, you like
1: for... you you just blew my mind. <laughs> I, I, really, because uh, I'm going to lose so many people when I say what I'm about to say. Yeah. But you know, uh, biblically um a lot of people would understand this concept of the already not yet which is there has been these promises that have been given we believe them to be truth we believe them to uh happen at some point uh, but they have not yet fully been revealed and so we're in this anticipation of complete fulfillment of what God promises and so theologically I totally get it it's still a really ugly tension to be in because it's like you said but I still <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) you'll see. but then when you bring that into this, uh, I don't want to say real world experience because I believe what I just said to be real world too. But when you, when you bring it into that kind of space, I mean, that is just flooring to me because I've never heard it. And yet the tension feels so much the same. So that is just wild. I can't wait to dig into that whole idea. I mean, that is just unreal for me. Yeah, you
0: can Google it. There's, uh, there's, I mean, it's everything from like old spiritual mystics to architects, you know, oh. talking about liminal spaces. So like an architect, we consider a hallway or an elevator or a staircase at a hotel, a liminal space. You know, we might, they might put a lot of design resources into the construction of the lobby because the first impression is important. It's where people congregate. You want to make sure the room is nice. Um, but the hallways and the elevators, those are liminal spaces. Um, and to use our analogy kind of feels like we're stuck on the elevator right now. It's like, are we going somewhere? Are we stuck here forever? When do I get to get off? Um, and that's really uncomfortable, but those, un- those uncomfortable spaces is where so much magic can happen. So you got, you just got to learn to lean into it. And so that's what I've been trying to do.
1: Okay. I'm leaving it right there. <laughs> I-, I had more to say, and there is no way that I can add anything more than what was just said. Harris, like, uh, again, um, you know, I I always want to just communicate as much thanks and gratitude um, to people uh, for spending time at all like this busy guy talk about margin. um, I'm sure you have so much going on. And so just for being here uh, is a gift in and of itself. It's a gift that you are going to give to every single person that's going to listen in some fashion to this podcast episode. If you're listening, by the way, I've done this from time to time. I've have 10 copies of Harris's book that I will give away to the first 10 people that reach out to me. So if you want to read a hard copy of The Wonder Switch, reach out to me, I'll send it to you. It would go great uh, with you going through that transformation map for yourself. Um, So thank you for your time, Harris. But more importantly, again, like few, I have terrible memory retention. And there are a few moments in my life, apart from what just happened five minutes ago, that really stick well. And that moment in Scottsdale in 2017, just some simple words have stuck with me forever and have had a profound impact on the way that I think about my business, my life, my my own journey in Christianity. Uh, And then reading the book reinvigorated so much of that for me at the end of this year, it literally flipped the wonder switch back on in my life. Uh, Not that it was miserable before, but it just created this moment for me. So buddy, thank you so much. I cannot tell you how much I thank you. And I respect you for what you're doing and just this gift that you are giving to so many people. So thank you.
0: Man, that, I mean, just that encouragement alone was worth showing up for. It fuels my tank. So when did my sales keeps me going? So thanks for saying that. Yep. It was an honor. Uh,
1: and uh, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? If they want to follow you, connect with you, I'll drop them in the show notes too, but just anything that you want to share.
0: Yeah, you can follow me on socials. It's just at Harris the third. So Harris, I, I, I like the Roman numeral three. Uh, I'm everywhere, but most active on Instagram and respond to most DMS on there. Um, the website, harris third.com Again, there's a free 60 minute training. You can also go to the wonderswitch.com. Um, and on the book page there's a free assessment. So, you know, one of the things we were talking about earlier is th- the source of those lies, the source of those belief systems. Um, and I recently just wrapped up uh, creating a new assessment that helps you identify the number one lie that's getting in the way of your creativity and crushing your wonder mm-hmm. and leading you to misuse your imagination. So it only takes about two minutes, but it's a cool little assessment. And that's been a Really cool resource for people. So you can find that at the wonderswitch.com.
1: Awesome. Okay. And we'll make sure to drop those in the show notes too. All right, guys. So that wraps up another episode of the podcast. I mean, again, I really hope that you got value from this. There is so much to take from a conversation like this. Follow Harris, feedback for me. If there's anything that you want to share with me, I'm happy to receive it. And as I try to say as often as I can possibly remember to remind you of, if you want the most out of the life that you are living, be more of yourself. Thanks so much, guys. Take care, talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Authentic Conversations with Ryan James Miller. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and share it with others. To connect with Ryan and learn more, visit ryanjamesmiller.com.